0: Those who were here last week, we started a series called There's a Blessing in the Breaking, coming from Jeremiah. I know just saying those words is touching somebody's heart right now. There's a blessing in the breaking. There's a blessing in the breaking. You may have been at a breaking point, you may have felt or are still feeling broken but God gave me a series on there's a blessing in the breaking coming from Jeremiah and God said to his people I know what I've done for you and you know what I've done for you but as of this moment I don't even want you to remember or think about what I did in the past I want you to, to break up your fallow ground right now because I'm getting ready to do a new thing. I'm not even going to go further into that message because God interrupted that series to bring this to light based on how he has been matriculating, migrating me from place to place and growth, the place of grass and greenness, the place of grass and greenness in my own life. And so we're going to ask God today that he would bless his word. Today's word is uh, not there's a blessing in the breaking. We, we, we're gonna put that on hold. Thank you, Elder Grant. For those who don't know, uh, our church has a very uh, strong leadership core. Uh, our elders and our deacons that function together but separately, uh, deacons, have both a spiritual and physical uh, directive to their service, but quite often more physical. Uh, when the light goes out, uh, the 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 pews are excessively stained. Uh, the grass, the all of the things that you see materially that looks spick and span uh, is going to be attributed directly to the deacon's function. But that's not all. They are spiritually inclined men and women. Our elders have a very strong spiritual directive to their leadership. One of the specific proving places for eldership is one, they have to know how to dissect the Word of God, you have to be able to preach and teach, you have to be an expert, but you gotta, we gotta see something that says you gotta call on your life for preaching and teaching. Second, each elder on our elder board uh, has a specific responsibility for an area of development in our church. And the reason for that is because if more than likely God is gonna migrate matriculate some of the elders to stay here and continue helping with the development of the sheep or the laity here others he will sow out of this church so that our impact is not just here but it begins to multiply but first first if you can't do it at home you can't do it away from home if you cannot take ownership as an elder in our church of a place an area of ministry and develop it and grow it it can't go down when you take leadership if the area that has been assigned to you for development goes down it's a microcosmic look at what can probably happen when you go out of this of, of church and you try to lead something spiritual out there. So that is a proving ground. You develop in church. We see with our own eyes that God has got his hand on you, and you're, you're developing something connected directly to this church's growth. And that says you might have a chance out there. Uh, the other thing uh, that our elders specifically are, are daunted with is Uh, They're the frontline, frontline representatives of spiritual deliverance in our church. So what, if you haven't been seeing it in the past, you'll begin to see more of it. That when the Holy Spirit comes down and we begin to pray, we're going to be commanding to the atmosphere, freedom in spirit and emotion, that the elders will be the frontline people standing right here. Pray, lay hands, agree and see deliverance happen and then the deacons and the other leaders of our church will come and support them on the backside because as God continues to flow, we may have, not may, not may, we will in the future have times when this entire altar is gonna be full and uh, people are gonna be falling out left and right with the Holy Spirit, not fakery. We've seen enough of that. Uh, It's gonna be the real authentic move of the Holy Spirit We're beginning to see that already. Well, we're gonna see it in a whole scale way. Uh, We started prepping ourselves uh, internally for that move. And so there's an expectation in the air that God is getting ready to do something unbelievable among us. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. what the Spirit is doing in the church. Today, I'm going to focus on this interlude, this break that God kind of pushed me into, and I'd like to call it uh, uh, My Pain is My Friend. My Pain is My Friend. I say that, and I immediately get emotional. But uh, my pain is my friend. I'm going to read my text then I'm going to read two other verses that I want you to keep as cap verses. Things that will support everything I say after that. The first, I'd like to read it from the Amplified Version. It is Matthew 16:24. By the way, uh, Thank God for our worship team. Do we have an anointed worship team? Yes. Do we have an anointed worship team? Thank you, Elder Jordan. As a matter of fact, could I have the elders just stand for a moment, those that are here? We've got Elder Grant that just made the announcements here. Uh, he's over media. We've got uh, Dr. June, Elder June, over our uh, discipleship. Uh, we've got uh, Elder Jordan over our uh, worship ministry. We've got Elder Angela, who's over a lot of our women's directive development in two specific areas. And uh, we also have Elder Camille, who functions as overseer in another organization. Thank you, elders. Uh, she's not here this morning. She may be on assignment that I missed. I think she is. Uh, but she is over uh, deliverance and evangelism. These are specific areas of our church where they are taking ownership as we expand. So, so your pastor isn't doing everything. I can't do everything. I wanna welcome our visitors. You no, know, as I'm going along, and these things just trigger in my mind. Do we have any of the visitors? Could you wave your hand for the first, second time? Got one, two, three, four. Hallelujah. Five, six. Lord, have mercy. Uh, w- would you just put your hands up again? Because there is a mandate in our church. And if you, if you leave this morning and there's not at least five people that came to you and authentically said to you, we are excited that you're here and we are hoping and praying that you will be led to hang out with us, uh, then I'm, I'm messing up. So keep your hands up so everybody outside, uh, inside of the, of the membership of our church can literally see your hand so they don't have any excuses. Hallelujah. Would you welcome our visitors and bless them again? Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Read with me. My pain is my friend. Mm. Matthew 16 Verse 24, in the Amplified Version. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself or set aside his own selfish interests and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come Take up his cross. Take up his cross. It does not address the word cross. It addresses the expression of taking up the cross. But each of us has a cross. You cannot exchange it with someone else. You cannot pray for it to go away and it'll go. You were created to carry your cross. Do not allow the adversary to fool you or trick you into praying prayers that will not be fruitful by asking God to take stuff away from you that he has assigned to you for development of you. There is nothing that you are going through That God did not first trim, curtail, prune to fit where you are in your life. If He didn't do that, then we couldn't call Him Lord because He would not have the power to protect. Second, He would not have the power to give you victory before you even go through something, the word of God says you have victory. The only person that can promise that is the person who is setting you up for victory by by curtailing and trimming everything you go through so that you can manage it wherever you are. Does that make sense? So, take up your cross, your pain, your rejection, you're hurt? We're going to go through all of that. Take up your cross, expressing a willingness to endure. That's all you have to have. A willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, Jesus, believing in me, confronting, conforming to my example, conforming to my example in living and if need be suffering or perhaps denying, dying, because of what? Because of fate in me. That's our text. I want to go to two other verses very quickly. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 9 through, I'm going to read 9 through 11. I know 13 is what it says, but we're going to read 9 through 11 in the New King James Version. Do not, do you not know? And in the beginning, these words are going to sound really harsh, but God is very direct. He doesn't play around with words. It's not that he's mean. He doesn't play around with words. You want to trust a God that doesn't play around with words. Am I right? It's amazing to me sometimes that, that we, we put so much emphasis on, on people being truthful to us and transparent with us. But when God does it, we, we reject it and we put our own words in the, play, in, the, in the space. Don't put your hands up. I don't want to see. But we tend to do that. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adult, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to notice that he makes no differentiation like the church is doing right now. I'm a preacher. I'm indicting us. He is making no differentiation between whether you are involved in this sin or in that sin. But we'll pause p- for a minute because you, gotta, you need to write this down. You need to write it down because you're going to have friends of yours coming at you with one or two things that their entire doctrine of Christ like behavior is based on. And they want to pick, nitpick this and that. And when you look at their lives, there's such a log in their eyes, they couldn't even see themselves. But he lays it out right here. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. These are people in every sin category who are habitual practicers of the sin. You have accepted it as part of you. You don't care what nobody says. You're going to keep doing this. This is not about the guy who every time he slips... He feels the Holy Spirit telling him, come on, man, get yourself together. And he repents from his heart. This is not that guy. This is the guy who has accepted these behaviors as lifestyle, and they don't care who say something about it. As a matter of fact, many of them have gone beyond Even within irks me to say the Christian faith to say, this is how God made me, and I'm spirit filled. And so what? You cannot. You cannot. Let's go on. Eleven. This is the redeeming verse, and the reason why I included this. And such were some of us But we were washed But we were sanctified I want you to get that word sanctified because by including the word sanctified he is he is saying I'm talking to you who are continuing to get yourself clean in the process I'm so happy he mentioned that word I'm so happy he did not go from, from uh, uh, but you were washed, but you were justified. He said, but you were washed. I washed your spirit. I moved you from death to life. And then I have initiated sanctification. A lifetime of making your flesh. Come into subjection with the transformed spirit of God. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. Now that's the God part. Because you are washed, and you continue to be washed, you are justified. I look at you different now. I look at you as if you didn't sin. I look at you as if you've always been righteous because I've watched you, you have continued to embrace sanctification, therefore I've justified you. You are my child. you got my name. One of the things I mentioned in the last sermon is that that I am not so excited about the legal representation of my, my sonship and your daughterhood with God. The thing that really should excite you is the fact that he went beyond legal ramifications and literally initiated a change of DNA. Nobody in human history has ever been able to do that with an adoption. You adopt a child, they take your name, They live in your house and they learn how to become a part of your family. Not God. When he took you in as his child, immediately, he said, I'm giving you my name. I'm downloading my nature. But before you go, uh, let's go ahead and have a blood transfusion. Your DNA has been changed. My DNA has been changed. It is why the adversary comes often to tell you, you're still the same person that you used to be. Because that's the only thing that he could do when he knows that you are changed from the inside out. You were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of God himself. My pain is my friend. Second Corinthians 12 verse eight and nine. Concerning these things, I plead with the, I pleaded with the Lord three different times. that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect. It's not made obvious. It's not made public. Oh God, you guys, somebody hadn't gotten that yet. Yeah, no, 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 no. you hadn't gotten that. You hadn't gotten that. You hadn't gotten it. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. Is made perfect in your weakness. That every time you fall prey to something in mistake form regret form repentance form god says that's my child only my child would mess up like this and come back and repent only my daughter will go through something like that right there <laughs> lucifer have you have you seen my my daughter uh, nicole have, you, have have you checked out my son uh, uh, John? H- have, you, have you talked to, have you looked over so-and-so? Have you noticed that they keep coming back to me after they mess up? That it doesn't matter what you, what you instigate in their lives? That whether they make it or they don't make it, whether they're in pain or in joy, whether they slip or stand strong, they are still running home to me. How do you like that, Lucifer? You know why, Lucifer? Because they have my DNA in them. It's not something they put on them. They have me in them. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. My pain is what? My friend. Unless you understand these verses... For what I'm really trying to say, you cannot say loud and clear, my pain is my friend. The only reason you and I can say my pain is my friend is because in my weakness, in my pain, in my suffering, if I call on him, he's made strong in me. Somebody's going to get this in a minute. Concerning these things, I pleaded with God three times that it might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Perfect in your weakness. I want you to get that this morning. My strength is not made possible. He did not say, My strength is made probable. My strength is made uh, a picture of good health. My he doesn't use anything but one word that we all know is impossible naturally. Nothing is perfect naturally. Look at the space shuttle that the most brilliant minds in the world, this last flight, spent over a year developing every single part with, with minute detail to the, to the end, thousandth of a degree. And still, when they put it all together, at least twice now, they have had engine failure. You know why? Because nothing that humanity puts their hand to is truly ever perfect. Perfection is a God word. We use it relatively, but perfection is a God word. And if you don't get that, you're going to look at people for perfection. You're going to look at at issues and situations. You're going to look at your job. You're going to look at promises for perfection. And it will not happen because perfection is a God word and yet God says in your weakness I find perfection I am made perfect when you don't have nothing in your tank therefore Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmity, this is Paul speaking, than that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I said all of that as intro to give you this, and you need to get this and write this down. Quite often, pain can feel like a boulder. Your pain, whatever it is, can feel like a boulder on you. Stressful, frustrating, tiring, exhausting. You're without strength. There's no end in sight. All of those come with pain when we go through pain. Today, God has interrupted the regular flow for me to release this into your life. God is turning your boulder into a banner. Look at somebody and tell them, today, God is turning my boulder into my banner. Hallelujah. Everybody's gonna get it when you get in the car. You can get it when you start driving tomorrow. That, that, that there's something that, has, that the adversary initiated in your life to create weakness, to create pain, to create weight, to create everything negative. But he forgot that God promised that his what? In your weakness... He shows us some to be himself to be your strength. So, quite often you can feel like your pain can feel like a boulder. But God is turning that boulder into your banner. I have to write this down as God told me. He's directing me to lead anyone here who wants to into victory over two specific areas that we're going to talk about. It is the hinge pin of the new season of release that I believe God is initiating in our church, in this environment, that is going to filter outside. All of that is to say this. God is directing me to lead anyone here into victory over two areas of undetected attack. Two areas of undetected attack. You have been living with this, you've been dealing with this, and the only reason I can preach about it right now is because I have gone through. Couldn't talk about it. It's just something that you need to do or you, if, if you ever went through. I had to go through this. We're not going to talk about how I went through, but I've had to go through to get to this. Two areas of undetected attack. Here are some symptoms. I'm going to go over the symptoms first. You can write them down. You find yourself comparing yourself and your circumstances or situations with others, and you never seem to measure up. You find yourself comparing your circumstance or your situations with others, and you never seem to measure up. You feel like you've missed out on life's opportunities and now it's too late. You feel like you've missed out on life's opportunities and now since you turned 45, it's happened to people who are 35, had a young lady that uh, after winning Miss America and being given one of the best broadcast positions as a young talent, still stepped off of her uh, balcony, what, six months ago? Beautiful, and just ended her life. You remember that nationally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You feel like you have missed out on life's opportunities, and now it's too late. That was her issue. That's, what the, tr- that's, the, that's the trick the adversary initiated in her life. At 28 or 29 years old, it was too late. Uh-huh, he'll do that. Number three, no amount of encouragement has been enough to convince you of your worth. You hear it, you say thank you, it makes, I feel so good that somebody told me this. I believe, I, I, I accept it. And then, and then two minutes later, you, you're by yourself in your car. and you still got that boulder on your back. Number four, you feel rejected. You feel rejected if you are not greeted or acknowledged by people, friends, leaders around you. You feel rejected if you're not greeted or acknowledged by people, friends, leaders around you. Number five. You constantly seek approval of others and suffer from people pleasing. The reason I said in the beginning when I made the statement, these are Undetected attacks because the spirits that are connected to the things that I'm talking about here have developed what is called a symbiotic relationship with your life. They don't need notoriety. These demons right here, they don't need you to talk about them. They don't want to, they're not flashy. They just want to come at some point in your life into your life and cuddle up and cozy up next to you. And the longer they stay in and around your life, the more they become like Velcro. When two strips of Velcro are perfectly connected, it don't matter how how the Velcro twists and turns, it feels like the same piece of of material. Why? Because because it, it has created a symbiotic relationship. One is the sticky and one is the sticker. And the spirits that I am describing here in this stuff are spirits that want to, they long for a symbiotic relationship with your life. They're operating in the shadows, they're changing. They're directing major decisions in your life, and you did not even know it. When I got a breakthrough in healing in my life, over what I'm about to mention, it took, I just got with 40, 40 years. 40 years. My spirit's renewed. My spirit's renewed. My spirit has moved from death to life. But this, this religious spirit, I call it religious because it's demonic, but it will do anything possible to just fit in wherever you go. It will sing on the choir with you. It will be the perfect usher at the the door. It will be the best leader on on the women's auxiliary. But when you start pulling it apart from you, it goes like crazy you-know-what. So here we are. Number five, you constantly seek the approval of others and suffer from people-pleasing. You are easily offended or embarrassed when discipline or correction is given to you. Number seven, you feel the need to always prove yourself in public. Number eight, you feel like you are on the outside looking in during interaction with people. Always skeptical about whether people really love and care about you. If that, if this portion right here, the last two I read, you feel the need to always prove yourself, especially publicly, and you feel like you are on the outside looking in during interaction with people, always skeptical about whether they really like and love and care for you. If that is happening in a church setting you find it impossible, almost impossible, to get out of your seat and go greet somebody because you don't have the authentic excitement to make them feel welcome. You are fighting with yourself feeling welcome. You're fighting with you feeling love. If you are fighting with you feeling love and cared for, then it's quite crazy for me to expect you to show authentic embrace to any visitor coming into our church. Because you've got to feel the authenticity before you share the authenticity. I'm attacking culture. The South has a culture of being nice, but not neighborly, like the word says. Let me say that again. Everywhere has this issue, but the South especially has, the church has a big problem with being nice. We can be nice. My grandma used to say, come see me and come live with me. It's two different things, bro. (laughs) I'll give you a cup of water. I'll, I'll get some gas for you. If I decide to stop and help you But, you you, you know no you don't need to know my name mhm no nope. no nope. you you don't need to get a, a number and uh, just no nope. and I'm and I'm saying this knowing very well that we need to be protective quite often you need to use common sense but it's an attitude that I'm addressing we nice But we ain't gonna be neighborly now, you you. There's some things that I I just ain't gonna share. I'm I'm just not gonna be that nice. I'm not gonna invite you over to my house for coffee just so I can share Jesus with you. Jesus is gonna have to find another way. I'm, I'm not going to, after church, intentionally a week before Sunday put aside $30 so that as the Spirit leads me, I will invite somebody in the service to eat lunch with me. Because I am committed to being nice, but I ain't going to be neighborly. I'm going to be inviting but, but, but I, I, I ain't going to be embracing. Number nine, you think you could do a better job than the current leader, teacher, or person doing something if you were given the opportunity. This is not occasionally. This is how you think. This is just how you is. That, that, that you think every time, it don't matter who's talking, you're listening to me right now on the air. And rather than hearing what God is trying to say to you, you're busy picking my sermon apart. <laughs> you're busy checking on diction. Did he use the verb and the adverb Right. Did he put a, an adverb before or after a noun? Is he about to hoop and holler or he's going to teach you? Which one are trying to do? And by the time you go through all of that, you've missed what God was trying to say. Because why? You think, you don't say it now, you don't say it, you don't say nothing to nobody, but in your own head, in your own spirit, you think you could do a better job if you were given the opportunity. And number 10, you believe no one really understands you or what you're going through. How prideful and haughty do you have to be to walk around constantly feeling that there's nobody else that ever went through this right here? Mm-mm, mm-mm. This situation right here, I'm like Jesus on the cross. Nobody has faced what I'm facing right now. If you recognize these signs, don't throw in the towel. If there are any of them are operating in your life, I beg you not to throw in the towel this morning. I'm convinced That confession, confession now, confession, you got to say, that's me. You don't have to get on the mic and say it, but you got to say it. That's me. Got to confess it, then you got to repent of it, and then you got to walk in deliverance from it. Confess it, repent of it, walk in deliverance from it. And God's going to give you freedom this morning. Yes. What am I talking about? Two spirits. Undetected attack. Spirits of unforgiveness, number one. Somebody did something to you. They were, they were as wrong as two left feet. You know it and they know it. They did you wrong. You've been a Christian for a while, and you have not been able to fully reconcile the fact that if you don't come to a point of forgiving them with the help of Jesus in your life, that you are walking in a place of unforgiveness from God. Let me say that again. The Bible said, if you, if you embrace what? unforgiveness in your heart, God's he, he's hearing you. That's what he said. It's not that he doesn't want to hear you. He can't hear you. Instead of your prayers going straight up, you're saying all kinds of stuff, but unforgiveness is causing your prayers to move around like a wild piece of smoke. God is there waiting for authentic savor of transparent smoke smelling sweet into his nostrils. And what he sees is the stuff coming out of you doing like this. It's going everywhere but to God. If you embrace iniquity in your heart, God can't hear you. So today, there needs to be an act for unforgiveness. There are things that you've done. There are things that you don't know you did. But it has been an invitation to a spirit of unforgiveness that will not. Here's how unforgiveness shows up. You ain't coming but so far, baby. You are not coming but so far. I remember the last time I was hurt like this, and I'm not going to let it happen again. When you make that decision, you are also deciding that you will fix the issue rather than let God fix the issue. And it's not even as simple as that. You're literally grabbing it out of his hand and playing a tug of war with him. Give me back. No, no, they did me wrong. No, no, I'm not. No, no, God, no. Unforgiveness. God dealt with me about this issue because when you bring it up to God in your closet time, we're going to pray about it today, but really where he wants to deal with it is in your closet time. So if you don't have worship time in your closet, you're probably not going to deal with this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm hurting somebody. If you have a life that does not spend closet time in worship, worship creates intimacy and passion. Nobody wants to be, except you just loose as a goose. You don't want to be the person showing passion and intimacy at the corner of the street. You don't see n- people in their right mind standing up at the corner with briefs and a bikini and a bra and no shirt and they stand at the street corner and they're just going to town, kissing and rubbing it. No, you know why? Because it's not normal. Intimacy and passion is for in here so that when you come outside, you can walk around normally together and people just look at you and say, they ain't even holding hands, but I could tell they, mm, they got something about them. You know why? Because you had intimacy and passion behind closed doors. And worship, worship does that. If you don't create an environment of worship, Behind closed doors where you cry and you are transparent and you tell God every nasty detail. Then praise outside of that area. Then trying to praise God in the church. you see people like that? They are the loudest. They want to lift their hands during praise and worship sometimes. And and sometimes we have some authentic moves of the Holy Spirit during praise times. But, but, But there are others, the only time they talk to God is when the music is playing in church. Do you understand today that you cannot develop passion and intimacy with God by waiting until praise and worship in the church. Because intimacy is private. Worship is private. Praise is public. Intimacy is where you tell God about himself over here. And then you tell everybody about him over here. And so unforgiveness is going to kill this thing. This morning, everybody here, everyone listening to me, you need to, need to draw a line and start over. I know it's 12:14. I'm coming in. Didn't want to carry this over to another series. The other one, and the one that the most recent one that God has delivered me from, is the spirit of rejection. Of rejection. Of rejection. I have been a perfectionist all of my life. Well, at least for the last 40 years. Something happened about 40 years ago that God had to bring back to me, vividly. That opened the door in my life, a crack. Opened a crack that allowed the spirit of rejection to come in. How does it show itself? With everything that I just told you, but here it was one for me that I did not mention that I was always, always pressing and pushing quite often over the limit of someone else's tolerance to accept me. Because if I did not get through, if I did not bring them to the point where I don't care if they just fall down and just give up and say, okay, you, you could be my friend. They, I had to push them to that point or else it felt like what? Rejection to me. If I didn't do it myself, it wasn't done right. Rejection. You can't trust nobody else to do something, because if they do it and you look at it, you can going to find something wrong with it. Because the spirit of rejection in you always wants to get your selfish behind into something so you can prove yourself in public. And over and over, as God brought deliverance to my life, he started to show me all of the major milestones in my life over the last 40 years that the spirit of rejection had something to do with it. Let me say something. Out there in the world, they embrace this spirit. You know why? Because the spirit of rejection out there says, work hard, beat everybody down in front of you. Be the best you can do and cut their throat if necessary. The world wants you to do that. The world wants you to embrace the spirit of rejection so much so that you push anybody, anything in your way, To prove that you are accepted. But today in the name of Jesus. We're going to break that spirit.